Welcome to the Sacred Adventure Begin podcast. I'm your host, Emily. I am a Kentucky native, now Boston-based artist, researcher, spirituality, and creativity teacher. I'm here to share with you stories and conversations that explore the sometimes subtle, sometimes epic ways that we as people discover our voices and begin consciously creating lives filled with meaning and expression. Powerful stories bridge the gaps between intellect and heart, between mundane and divine, between fantastical and practical. And I'm so excited to have you here sharing this space and being part of these conversations. Let's begin. Hello and welcome back, my wonderful cohort. I am so excited. (laughs) I feel like I say that every time. Maybe I just am excited to be recording this podcast and happy to be here and feeling really thankful about it basically every time I show up to do it. And that's why I am projecting so much joy. Um, (laughs) I think you probably noticed there's a new shorter intro. I am still iterating and still trying to figure out something that feels like a really good and amazing fit for the podcast and for my goals for the podcast and for what you're telling me um, you're enjoying. And so and so it's been interesting just kind of being part of that and being in the flow of that. And I want to talk a little bit about flow and about releasing the urge to perfect something before you put it out there. And I know I talked a little bit about this before, but Analysis and and judge judgment, judgy, judgy McJudgments can be a really big roadblock to actually making progress for a lot of people. For some people, um, creating the thing and sticking with it is the type of process they need to go through. But for me, and I'm sure others out there like me, and I bet it also depends on the type of project too. And we'll get into that in a second. But I need to make mistakes. That's how I learn. And I actually don't like being told what to do because even if somebody already has the answer, I like to fumble about a little bit before I go find the answer as well. And I'll tell you what um, this sort of approach has done for me. And I'm going to use an example that if Colin is listening to this podcast, I love you so much, Colin. (laughs) Uh, My friend and I were talking the other day about sewing. And she was saying that it takes her, you know, hours and hours and hours to put a pair of pants together from a pattern. And I was giggling because I have made so many pairs of pants, like legit, that I don't need a pattern anymore. I actually know the shape that my legs are going to make and the measurements that I need. And I can just take out a um, French curve, which is a tool for creating pattern curves, <laughs> fold my fabric in half and cut out the fabric pieces, sew them together and have pants that are made with my exact inseam, with my exact measurements. Um, basically, I have made pants uh, custom from scratch without a pattern. Now I can do it in less than two hours for a, a finished pair. That doesn't include if I'm like making something fancy or or doing some kind of like extensive uh, (laughs) decorative elements on them. 
But what this does is the first pair of pants I made were terrible and I couldn't figure out what was wrong with my machine. It turned out that I needed a new, um, a new needle. My needle was dull and so like all of the stitches were turning out weird. But what happened was all the stitches were turning out weird, so I started playing with the machines. I turned every button on my machine and I sewed with it on a different button and now I know what all the different buttons and the tensions do. I even, because I was, you know, experimenting with this, thought about like, well, I wonder if it's just the fabric. Well, I wonder if it's this. Well, I wonder if it's that. And I just kept experimenting with it. And I experimented again and again and again on pair after pair after pair of pants. I made some from patterns. I made some on my own. I started um, noticing where I needed to add more fabric. You know, when I sewed them and they didn't fit, like, okay, so I need to add more fabric in my inseam. I need to do this. I need to do that. I want to tighten it at the hip, this and that. And going through that whole process and allowing myself to make something that was wrong or didn't work perfectly actually taught me what I needed to do to make it right <laughs> and to make it work perfectly. And actually, I'm sitting here in a pair of pants that... Um, I made this past winter because I wanted something that was lightweight and loose. And so I knew exactly where, if I wanted that, if that was my goal. Oh, and that had pockets because those are important. Um, that I could just like whip that out in a couple hours and, and have a you know pair of custom pants. And we were giggling about this. This is kind of how I work creatively with the podcast, with many, many, many things in my life. Now, if it needs to be right, like if somebody's life depends on it, <laughs> or if it's, say, something that's going to be super public, well, I guess the podcast technically is super public, but um, super published and circulated in quote-unquote professional arenas, of course I'm going to make the thing and then go back and tweak it and make sure every part of it is perfect. Um but yeah, that's I've just been in that process with the intro and the outro, with the sound editing this year, and I bet you <laughs> I bet you can relate a little bit to that. Um, so what does this thought about iteration have to do with the topics that we have been talking about on this podcast? Last month, um, we did a bit of a mini-series on relationships and creative relationships, as well as personal relationships in terms of spirituality and um, holistic businesses and that sort of thing. This month, <laughs> and I think this is going to extend out for a little while because the second I noticed that I had another mini-series just sort of staring at me, um, <laughs> I also noticed that literally everyone I had booked out for quite a bit of time fits in this category, and that is creativity. So we are going to spend a pretty long mini-series. I might not even call it a mini-anything. I might just call it a, a series. We're doing a series on sacred creativity. <laughs> um, I have so many interviews to share with you. I literally cannot wait I have people who are creative in groups and people who create with, with purpose, without purpose, people who create for um, money, essentially, as part of their job, people who create just for pleasure and, um, and the, the stimulation that it brings to them and, and what they, it expresses for them like on a soul level. And I 
cannot wait to share these interviews with you, but I did want to tell you how they came up for me. And that is this. I scheduled the interview that you're going to be hearing today with a tarot card reader. I love her so much. I know that you are going to as well. She also has a Patreon site where you can go and like see what she's up to. Um, and I've been, I've been sitting on it for a little while because I recorded it before Christmas. And then I immediately got into that mini series on relationships and that episode wasn't about relationships, but I knew it was about creativity because you'll see Jane's approach is, is very different than let's say mine. Um, I tend to work uh, in spurts and I tend to get a lot of work done and I tend to push myself, um, not, not in a bad way, but just like in a directive way. Like I'm always doing something constantly, constantly, constantly. And you'll hear her talk about her method and the way that she's been working on this particular deck that she's working on. Um, <laughs> but then all of a sudden I noticed that I had also recorded like five other episodes with people where we talk explicitly about creativity. And so it was in the organizing of things that I realized I, I was essentially prepared for and already had a series together, which is so cool. I had a moment where I was like, wow, is this real? So that is what is going on this month. We are starting a new series on sacred creativity and approaches to creativity to get you inspired, um, be it in your work life or your daily life. Um, that is what you have to look forward to, what we have coming up. So without any further explanation, I'm going to go ahead and get us directly into this interview with Jane. Awesome. Well, welcome everyone to the Sacred Adventure Begin podcast. Today, I am talking to Jane Bruschetti. Did I say that right? Um, it's Brucetti. I get that a lot. Brucetti. Brucetti. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, uh, Brucetti sounds very delicious. So. <laughs> <laughs> I always tell people it rhymes with spaghetti, so that's Brucetti. Yeah. Did I say it right? Brucetti. Uh, Brucetti. There's no that C sound isn't in there. Ah, got it. <laughs> I'll work on that. <laughs> Maybe by the end of the interview, I'll be able to say your last name correctly. Um. But I'm just going to let her start by telling you a little bit about uh, where she is and what she does in the world. Um, so I grew up in Buffalo, New York, and I spent some time traveling. And I now live in New Mexico, which a lot of people kind of think that's crazy, like where you're so far away from home. And yet I talk to many people and they're like, I am from Boston. I'm from New Hampshire. I grew up in New Jersey, you know, like there's a lot of East coasters out here now. Um, but like a lot of it had to do with like this perception that the desert is just dust. And I felt really fascinated by like the plant life. Like actually, if you really look into it, the deserts are some of the most diverse life in the world because they have to adapt. Mm -hmm. So it's this like fascinating ecosystem and they're all very different. Like, you know, New Mexico is completely different from Arizona, actually. 
Well, I'm with you on this. We just moved to Boston. We moved from Kentucky to Boston this year. And yeah. I have like, no joke, nonstop fantasies of going to Sedona recently. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think I get the attraction of the desert um, once you've been in this kind of like um, cold. But it's, I, I, since I know that you're into um, like permaculture and the land and the environment and stuff, I think also... Uh, Cause I went to grad school in Texas uh, on the West side of Texas near the, mm-hmm. the border um, and in Lubbock actually for any of the listeners who want to relate to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was so different. Kentucky is in the foothills of the Appalachian mountains and mm-hmm. um, Boston is actually where up where they start, but new England is kind of hilly and new England, you live on top of each other. So even if the hills weren't there, there are, there are buildings that appear like hills and it is nice because you feel nestled, but the desert terrain, like being in Lubbock and having the like vast expanse of the sky always available to me, it felt like I could breathe differently there. And, yeah. uh, and part of that is that it, it was uh, compared to, again to Kentucky and also Boston is very humid. It, it was very arid. Yeah. And so I think that that's like, I think that there's a correlation <laughs> between like moving from Buffalo, New York to New Mexico. But what do you, what do you do most of your days? So you have this amazing website and for the listeners who maybe don't know, um, I met Jane because she caught my episode on um, skunk cabbage and the Empress card from yeah. a tarot deck that we uh, both have and, and enjoy, which is the um, Rust Belt Arcana. And uh, we connected that way. And I invited her on the podcast to talk a little bit about her work and her art uh, and, and her life path because the Sacred Adventure Began podcast. So what is a typical like work day look for you or what are the projects that you've got going on right now? Um, I mean, I really am the kind of person who like flits around and like, you know, jokingly, not jokingly, like, oh man, I'm so ADHD or whatever. Like I flit around and do like multiple things, but like they all kind of inform each other. Um, and I also have two kids which now are home. So um, (laughs) whatever it is, I'm being interrupted. Yeah. Um, Which is fine because I had children because like, I want their energy and they're like, no, I'm not, I'm doing what suits my fancy right now. Like I'm really excited about this. I'm going to drop everything and do it right now. And like, I very much relate to that. Like uh, things get this like, passion to it when you're like I'm excited about this and I'm doing it now yep you know there's you can tell the difference between art that like they dropped everything and banged out this thing and art that they're like I do my art you know at 11 o'clock every day or whatever and there's merit to that too oh yeah definitely I I like that there's sort of like energies that we follow as artists (laughs) (laughs) that are maybe a little bit different uh, in terms of productivity than like what most people do. Like most people clock in at a a certain time of day and they work from this time to that time. Uh, But often if, if you're an artist and you like to wait for inspiration to make, it can be a little bit different, right? It can maybe look like a deadline, but it could also maybe look like what you were saying. Uh, I have an idea that pops into my head and I start working on it. So the projects that you're working on now, it looks like you are a visual artist and you also do fiber work. And then um, you're making a deck of tarot. 
Yeah, like that has been that thing's more like the rock. Like I do little side projects and everything's really willy nilly. But then the tarot deck has been always this thing that I can come back to. Um, like I started a Patreon on that, and that's been sort of hold, been holding me accountable. Also, because like now I have patrons, and yep. they, I mean, at this point they're like friends and family. Um, so it's like forgiving in that sense, but it's also like no, I am now. I do at least one of these a month, and that's been really great because I can you know, disintegrate into being surrounded by unfinished projects. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) I actually have a, like (laughs) a couple of boxes in the basement of, um, half formed sculptures and another one that are like half drawn paintings. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, that's so real. That's so real. So how did you get, um, do you also read tarot? Yeah, I mean, I'm also, like, I've always been sort of interested in it, but then uh, I'm learning as I go with this, really, like, most of my tarot knowledge has come in the, like, maybe, like, three or four years at this point of the, like, slow birthing of this thing, you know, I sort of, like, oh, I think I'll make a tarot deck based on plants, you know, and then would abandon it for a few months. But like the past two years has really been like a lot more, like gathering a lot more steam on the tarot deck. Yeah, I know. I was perusing your website, which for the viewers, uh, the links are in the show notes uh, to check it out. And I've I've been loving the ones that you have completed and have posted. And I- I think almost like I want to say as artists and as people who are um, trained in looking at image and using image to um, connect to our inner knowing, we're sort of like pre-wired for the ability to do that. Uh, And yeah, and it's almost like nicer. I have a little program where I I help people like start to understand and like form a relationship with the tarot. And mine is almost entirely visually based. (laughs) Like I know some people like to, you know, tell people, um, you know, do it by the numbers or do it by the suite or do it by a combo of that or do it by the astrology that's involved or, you know, like do it by whether or not there's a person in it or what's the action happening. And I kind of like tend toward, Uh, what am I seeing? What's the story in this single image and what's the story of how it relates to the others? And so I'm curious, like, as you're building your own deck and let's go ahead and just talk about that. Like, how'd you get the idea to build a deck? (laughs) Well, I mean, I always like the idea of like having a structure to do something within is Uh, appealing to me. Like, okay, you know, I can be really like, spacey and sort of untethered but like that gives me something like okay I can work within this there's like you know a lot of talk among artists how like sometimes boundaries can set you free like Mm -hmm. okay I have direction I know what I'm doing now yep yeah it's it becomes the container for the creative thought to occur in the boundary does Mm -hmm. yeah so um so, so you're um, building a deck that is also incorporating pa- plant knowledge and plant information? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm also like, 
a bit of an amateur herbalist as well. Like, that's so cool. I've never really studied anything officially, but I, you know, through parenting, you know, like my kid has a cold. So I learned about chamomile or like I have a sore throat and I learned about the, the globe mallow in my yard. And it has this really like mucilaginous uh, leaf to it. Uh huh. And so like, it's really gratifying to like, wow, I can go out my front door and pick this thing and make a cup of tea and have like a relationship with the plant. Um, I mean, I very much enjoy weeds, but we have this like weird relationship with weeds generally where like a lot of them get sprayed or they're unwanted Mm -hmm. or they're invasive, but like, okay, this thing like exploded and you have an abundance of it. Um, And a lot of herbalists talk about how like, that's going to be the medicine that you need, you know, it's right in front of your face. So that like kind of taps into the energy of plants how they're like really subtle in their communication yeah so are you tuning into the plants and letting them tell you like which card they want to go on or how are you how are you sort of picking the plants to draw the cards with I guess I'm I'm asking about your process right I mean I have like I consider it from like multiple different angles like I will consider that I'll consider a medicinal aspect of it I'll consider like it's kind of interesting to think about things like in a historical way um like I use sugarcane for the devil Mm -hmm. because you know it has this like history of you know slavery and plantations and like I feel like that is a very like a big part of the devil card is like making excuses and like you're doing bad things to make your life more lavish or easy and like those things are a mirage you know the devil card is very much about like you're fooling yourself you're hurting yourself because you don't want to see the bad things that you're doing and you're making excuses uh I love everything about what you just said, especially too for the listeners who maybe are unfamiliar with that card. It it is like a, a little horned figure, like a devil. Um, and then there's two people, a male and a female underneath that are in shackles. And so like actually in the like rider weight, there is the like aspect of, of like sort of being enslaved with that. And it's so it's really interesting that you paired the sugar cane with that. That so I like I love the lovers card that you've done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get a lot of good comments on that one. Yeah, can you talk about the pomegranate and uh, like maybe some of some of what's going on there? Um, I mean, the process with the pomegranate was like I need something like really juicy, and like I was going through all these different fruits, and like um, the story of Adam and Eve is also like it's not it's speculated that it is a pomegranate, actually. Oh, hey. And not an apple. Um, And then there's like a little bit of the story of Persephone and Hades in there too. And like the lover's card is very much about like, is it a choice or isn't? Because when you, when you have that lover's feeling, you feel like compelled. Like I am so drawn to this person. It's not always about a person either. It's like, I have, I have a love affair with, you know, knitting right now. Like I feel just like completely and utterly in love with it. 
you yep. know, I'm looking it up and spending all this time doing about it and like daydreaming about it. Like I'm having a lover's relationship with knitting right now. So it doesn't always have to be a person, but it's something you feel compelled to. And you feel like there's something about this person or this thing that I need to go explore. I love that you described it that way. And in your card, you have them as opposites. Cause then the, it, there's also like the blending of the two things. Like I have the desire to knit. And then when I'm knitting, I'm with the knitting, you know, yeah. like, and it is sort of like a really uh, interesting and beautiful interpretation of the card. I thought, um, especially that the, that the pomegranate was there too. So that's really cool. So when you're working on them and, and for the listeners who are interested, uh, the, the tarot deck is called the bleeding heart tarot. And, um, when you're, so when you're working on it, you're looking at like, does it start with the, does it start with the traditional meaning of the card or does it start with how you feel about the meaning of the card and then you pick the plant or does it sometimes start with the plant and then you pick the card that the plant is going to go with? It goes both ways. Um, I mean, like I said, like I'm not super structured about things and like I'm very like heart centered and I kind of very much go with the flow about things. And there's certain plants that like, this needs to be in the deck somewhere. I am going to put this in the deck somewhere. Um, yeah. And that's how the, the judgment card came about was that um, I was looking into the resurrection plant and it's this, it's a desert plant. I think there's actually a, uh, a version of it that's native to New Mexico and Mexico where it will, it's kind of like a tumbleweed where it will like break off. Mm-hmm. and just roll around and be totally desiccated and look dead until it finds water and then it'll open up. It's called a resurrection resurrection plant and it's got all these like religious undertones to it and the judgment card is about that like it is about resurrection it's like you are almost at the end of your fool's journey and there's some stuff you need to rectify. There's some yep. big like transitions you need to make or you need to go and set something right. And like, we're talking a lot about water now and the environment and like environmental issues are a big deal to me. Like if we don't have water, we're all going to die. We need to reconsider how we think about water. And that's kind of wrapped up in that card too. That's so interesting. So can I share with you my relationship with the resurrection uh, plant? Yeah. I I um, heard about them and I, I heard them, their name as the Rose of Jericho, mm-hmm. uh, which is another like sort of like colloquial name for, for this plant. And do you know its species genius name? Do you happen to there's, know that by any chance? There's two different species. Uh, the one I've got is the... Selaginella lepidophilia phila Latin is not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you about that because um, I was like, I noticed that you have words on your tarot cards and I couldn't tell if they were Latin or not. Yeah, that's like the Latin term for each plant. Um, and then I, I do have to like dig and decide which uh name I'm going to use you know a lot of Mm -hmm. Latin 
lot of plants have different variations and you know, this one is endemic to this place or this one has this difference to it or like, and then a lot of the times different species variations of plants, they're like, actually, we're not entirely sure if they're actually different or not because they crossbreed. Yep. Yeah. Well, okay. So I, I heard about, I heard, I feel like I saw somebody pin about them, about the Rose of Jericho on um, Pinterest and I was mm-hmm. like, oh my God, this is so cool. And then I looked at the picture of it and I was like, wait a second. Cause I had, um, bought one, um, when I was in a, like, uh, you know, an herb store, like an herbalist store in Salem right. a little while ago. And I was like, this is cool. And it smells really interesting. And there were like a ton of them and they were $3. And I was like, well, let's just see what happens. And, oh, you have one. Ah, I know. I, I, I am so impressed with the plant. So I put it like, I just put it on my altar and it was there like absorbing, absorbing the energies. (laughs) And and then I found out that you could put it in water and it comes alive. And like listeners, no joke, this is the coolest plant ever. So you take it and it looks totally dead and you stick it in water and it literally starts moving. (laughs) It like opens up, it goes from brown to green. And I like, just like what you just described, which is so cool. They, I, I, you could probably talk more about it, um, too. So I, I'm not going to like try and steamroll you. I just get really excited about, uh, I, about this plant is it like rolls around the desert. So it's roots are really short. It looks dead. And then it is just able when it finds water to like open up, absorb sunlight, get the nutrients it needs. And then when that water's gone, it just folds back up and keeps rolling, (laughs) which is so cool. Mm -hmm. Um, and you all just heard kiddos, <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> which was is my awesome. Son, yeah. Oh, yay! So, mm-hmm. yeah, you have one too. <laughs> I have two kids, actually. Oh no, I was talking about the plant, but the kids are awesome, also. But <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I, I actually water mine now. Um, anytime there's a new moon, that's when I water my rose of Jericho, and it's kind of like a. Um, like a ritual for me <laughs> to ce- yeah. to celebrate the moon and and just to like contemplate uh, that process of like opening and closing and receiving mm-hmm. and and also there's that like element too of like folding in and letting go and opening up and absorbing and it's so cool that you put that as the judgment card. Yeah, I had like I like uh, the card. There's like a fist in there as well, and like uh-huh. I have the fist when it's kind of dried up and closed. And then like when it's green and open, I have, uh, it's like the hand of Miriam with the like eyeball. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cool. It's also like this hand gesture of like, I don't have any weapons. I'm not here to hurt you. And like, I, I think that's, you know, like a revolution that needs to happen as well is like, okay, more peace and gentleness was like, yep. You know, hands up, no weapons we all need to like drop the weapons and the defensiveness and like that will breed like a kinder, gentler world also is like, I don't have any intention of hurting you. I don't have any intention of like, you know, messing with your 
life just to pro for my own benefit. Yep. That's so cool. So are you like, <laughs> are you also writing a guidebook for people so they know like why you selected the plants and, and, uh, or, or is that something that you're sharing with your Patreons? So, um, yeah, that is something I share with the, the, the patrons. Um, I share links on there too. Like, man, this article really like spells this out better than I did. Cause mm -hmm. you know, I really am not a very consistent writer. Yeah. You know, like, I don't think of that as a problem. But <laughs> 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 well, I think that is, I, we were discussing uh, for anyone who is kind of wondering what we're talking about here. We were discussing before we started recording the interview uh, that um, I was sharing that I have a little bit of neurodivergence uh, and it, it affects my writing. It makes it very hard for me to spell things. And um, we were also talking about um, ADHD or, or just hyper-focus and, and how that influences like artistic flow, but also how that's a really like, actually kind of like a superpower for artists. Can you share a little bit uh, about your philosophy with that? Um, like how like ADHD or like just the lack of focus can be a superpower? Yeah. Um, well, it is so like intricately tied with that curiosity and that passion, um, you know, and I feel like that is what a lot of people get upset about when they, you know, when they're children and then they grow up and they're adults and they're like, I was medicated and that sucked. Like mm -hmm. it numbed me and it, you know, it essentially closed off a lot of these creative pathways because yep. like sometimes that energy is exactly what fuels you to do these crazy, weird, artsy things. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like you're going <laughs> to draw this 78 card thing and do all this research on top of it. And like, it's not really that practical, but it's a passionate curiosity project. Yeah. And it's so important. I think to have that and to be able to like harness and flow within that sort of framework with the knowledge of like, okay, this is how my energy works and I'm going to let it take me places versus mm -hmm. this is how my energy works. And I'm going to try and shove myself into the like productive, I will make artwork every day at 11 thing. If that isn't something that motivates me, you know? Yeah. And I do have to have some balance though, because like, if I wait for inspiration, then I would go like months without drawing. I have to like, I am putting my hand down on this paper and I'm going to just sit here and draw and it's going to be uncomfortable for a few minutes. But some, in those moments, sometimes I really come up with some really great stuff then too. Like I need both and it's a matter of balance. Yeah, totally. So I'm curious, <laughs> how did, how did you arrive at this place where you have both the time and, and the ability to be working on a project like this? And, and also the like knowledge that you could do something like this. Cause I think a lot of people are like, Oh, I would love to make a deck, but they, they then don't have the artist artistic skills, or they then don't have the desire to, to, <laughs> spend all this time and effort researching these things and putting them together. Um, can you maybe speak a little bit to how you got here? Um, like any artistic thing, uh, and with the talent and stuff, like I just feel compelled. 
like, I don't, I don't know what else I would do. You know, I remember being in high school and like taking a career, you know, one of those career assessment tests and like got a result. I was like, I don't even know what this is. You people don't know what to do with me. I'm going to go to college for art because I can't think of anything else I would, I should be doing. Like it feels like a calling to me. And I feel like I have to make time for this or, you know, I feel like that resurrection plant where I dry up and I, this is what my life is like if I'm not doing that. Mm -hmm. Like it opens me up and I feel excited and happy and like, Oh, I'm doing this, this thing. And I'm happy and excited and I feel like I'm, I'm doing my thing. I'm following my path. Um, I mean, and then just finding time to do it is, it really is just like, there's like a window of time, like doing it somewhere between, anytime between like 11 and three, really like taking two or three hours and doing it. Mm-hmm. I am pretty like, you know, rhythmic and go with the flow about it. Like sometimes the kids need help with schoolwork. So doing it at 11 o'clock every single day without fail isn't reasonable for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally feel that. So did you always like grow up with tarot or is it something that you discovered like later in life? Um, And then also like, how'd you come to your artistic skills? (laughs) Uh. Tarot? No. Like I came to tarot more of as an adult, like I've always been into more like witchy, weird things. Uh, I mean, my parents are pretty like straight laced and they're like, how, what, where did you come from? I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) Here I am. I'm allowing myself to be compelled. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I forgot what the train of thought was. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I, I'm asking a little bit about like how, how you came to find these two passions together, but I guess more specifically, can you talk a little bit about your background with art? Um, like always as a kid, like that is what I was inclined to do. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I got time between, you know, I got a little bit of time before dinner. I'm going to sit and draw. Like, it's always been there. There was no, like, revelation. Like, I remember even being, like, as little as three. And, like, that's what I do. I draw. That's my thing that I do. Yeah. I feel like um, a lot of people... I stop drawing when they hit, like, adolescence because the drawings... uh, they become self-aware. And the draw... It takes a little while for your drawing to look like how you picture it in your head you know? Yeah. And so they give up at that point, uh, out of, out of, uh, low self-esteem or out of fear of being judged or out of judging themselves. And so I'm, I'm curious, like, I guess, I know that you said that <laughs> you took the career test and you were like, I want to be an artist anyway, so I'm going to go to school for art. But like, do you ever, do you ever kind of like struggle with anything like that? And also, um, how, like, how did, how did you find art school? <laughs> did you, did you, you got a major in painting, right? Yep. Yeah. Painting. And then, uh, also printmaking also oh, like cool. I, that was like a sub major that yeah, like, minor. I just, yeah. Yeah. That I 
I liked it enough. So I was like, I'm going to take printmaking. Ooh, I have room in my schedule and there's an available printmaking class. Like I love the like tinkering of the, uh, with the inks and the plate. Like it was this, Mm. like when you draw, like you see what's happening in real time. But when you do the thing with the plate, it is kind of like a transformation. Like I'm, I'm handing this over to this press and this paper. And like, I have this like relationship with them. Like, all right, I'm handing it to you now. This is what, how, what the press has done with it. Yeah. So, like the oh, wheel of fortune card. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. but it literally has a wheel on it too. Right? <laughs> That's a really good point. <laughs> I, I think about printmaking and that card as well, but like also just what you were talking about, like um, I also do printmaking um, a little bit. And I love the um, element of the unknown that's available when you subject something to a process that's a little more hands-off. And drawing is like very direct. Like I'm holding the implement. I am making the mark. The mark comes from my hand and goes to the page. And Mm -hmm. uh, printmaking is like I create this matrix and the matrix is what marks the page. Yeah. And that can be really like sort of beautiful and illuminating. So you went to art school. (laughs) Did you do it up here in New York? Yeah, I went to uh, University of Buffalo. Oh, cool. Did you like it? Um, not really. Like, <laughs> <laughs> You don't have to explain to me. Art school can be brutal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people that were like, mm, man, that really just sort of burned me out. Like the burnout. Yeah. yeah. I really didn't do any art for a long time after I graduated. Me neither. Don't feel bad. Yeah. I mean, it did teach that, like, I'm doing art on a schedule. Yep. Which is valuable. Like, you, if you have chosen this as your life's path and you're going to call yourself an artist, you got to do the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Put your butt in the chair and do the thing. <laughs> 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 I think I think art school also can and for better or for worse it makes you aware of of what you're making at a new level and also it makes you super aware of like this is what I intend this is how everything that I did gets that intention across be it the color the layout the yeah. uh, design the the choice of even what to make uh, so this is the intention this is the medium like the platform these are all the elements that if I were a, like a music mixer and I had a mixing board, these are all the elements on my mixing board. Uh, this is my output. And then the cool thing about art school is that it also helps you consider someone receiving the output. Yeah. Too. Sure. Um, which is interesting. <clears throat> so you like learn, I, I, w- I kind of make the joke that like <laughs> undergrad, graduate art school, it, it makes you aware of how hyper self-aware you can become. <laughs> Right. I mean, I think there could be some work to do with the, like, the mental health of artists, too, like, talking about, because, like, artists are typically, like, so self-brutal, and, like, this is garbage, and, like, how many art projects were in the trash at that art school, you know? Yep. So, like, talking about your mental health as an artist, talking about, okay, you feel compelled to make this stuff, now what are you going to do with it? Like, I mm-hmm. kind of wish that art school was 
less about how to make the art than what to do with it once you've made it. Yeah. Like considering, I think considering the audience is really important. Like, okay, let's not be starving artists. What can I do with this? What am I inclined to do? That was part of the appeal of printmaking too, is that there is a lot more like commercial avenues for printmaking. You know, like I could legitimately make money printmaking because I make one plate and I can run off a hundred and sell it for relatively cheap, you know, because like paintings can cost thousands of dollars because there's one. Printmaking is this like equalizer because you can print and you can make cheap art. Like I think cheap art is super important. Yeah, let's talk about that. Why? (laughs) Because a big part of what turned me off from art school was like having one lecture and talking about how you could make a piece of art as an artist and then it gets into this like art collector mm-hmm. cycle. Yes. And you've only been paid for it that one time when you sold it. But once it gets into art collectors, it can go up to millions of dollars and you only got paid that one time for it. I mean, yep. I guess your name, you know, if it gets to the point where you're selling for millions of dollars, then you've made a name for yourself. Yeah. And that makes it easier. But like, wow, this is inaccessible to a lot of people. And like, I don't necessarily want to speak to the kinds of people that have millions of dollars to spend on a painting. I want to have my really lovely neighbors have it, or I want to have my aunt have it, or I want to have a friend of a friend have it, or, you know, the janitor at the school, you know, like anybody that likes it and it brings them joy, anyone should have access to it. Uh, I have so much to say on this topic, (laughs) but I loved how you just described that because I think that art, um, there is an accessibility sort of, uh, justice that is actually happening because as artists, we have things like, um, Patreon where people can be our patrons and, mm-hmm. and or like you could buy in at a, a smaller level and like you said uh have have mass prints of things yeah. so that the artwork is accessible um mm-hmm. to people so that they can have relationships with images <laughs> and to know themselves and to appreciate just like I don't know about you but I I also I like I make art but I also collect other people's art yeah. and um I have a lot of art in my home that isn't mine that I just love, that I love looking at. And when I look at it, it makes me, I I think I'm attracted to things that um, help me unlock things within myself. So I like feel differently when I'm looking at the pieces and I, I, I on a like revolutionary level want that to be available to more people, but like also (coughs) as an artist uh, mm-hmm. And I like that you touched on this too. Like, what do you do with the art after? Because let's yeah. say, well, here's an example. Um, I have a piece that I'm working on right now and I have clocked in 12 hours already on it and <laughs> it's not done. I'm going to keep clocking the hours on it. Yeah. And if, if I ever sell it, 
I would need, I, to, to make this an actual equitable, equitable world to me, I would need an hourly rate. <laughs> and then I would need to also consider things like my health insurance, my uh, bills, my studio rental, if I have it, my supplies that went into it, like all of those things. And then you start to understand like why art costs a lot. And then in addition to that, what you just said, then there's actually the like art system in general, which is super not equitable for artists. Like, no, and you not. don't have control of your work and you don't really have control over uh, who sells what and for how much. And, and it is, it, it becomes a thing where uh, people beyond us decide what will happen with our careers and our work. And yeah. um, that's why I love the internet. Yeah, right. <laughs> it can be very much like an equalizer. Like, yeah. you know, anybody can go consume it. Yeah, but then it does have to fit in the category that you just described, which is affordable. It has to be affordable for people um, mm-hmm. if you're going to sell it at the mass level and then also has to feel good to make. <laughs> yeah. It becomes complicated. But I also like that you said that there's a lot to be done with artists and mental health as well. And just coming into the idea that like our work is important or that making art for anyone is important because it does help bring something inside out. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain amount of like human value that comes from like that, <laughs> that is like undeniable and something that I think all people deserve. Yeah. Yeah. And, and can be helpful to, you know, relieving stress or I, uh, lots of stuff. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, it's yeah. like feeling that it's like the feeling that you're not alone. Like I love this piece because it's like invoking this feeling that I have, you know, that doesn't necessarily make me feel good or that like, that I'm excited about. Like yeah. you don't want to feel alone in your feelings and art very much touches on that. Like it's processing of feelings, you know, that's why like artists get like dismissed as like, Oh man, you're like ooey gooey like bag of emotions <laughs> oh I'll take it <laughs> I'm okay with being a bag of I'm human <laughs> I'm not a machine no yeah and I want to throw in you capitalist motherfucker <laughs> to the end of that <laughs> yeah I mean I do have the like uh I like the, like, the eat the rich <laughs> I forget who said it, but it was ta- just talking about how, like, uh, well, if the rich give us nothing to eat, then we will eat them. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh. just got to bear. <laughs> People are going to okay. get desperate. They're going to be angry. People they're are desperate and angry right Yeah, now. they're going to do stuff that they wouldn't do if their needs were being met. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, um, I love that also art can move us to activism and it, in that, like what we're talking about now is like, also when we were talking about this mental health kind of thing with, um, having ADHD or, or dyslexia or whatever, I, that knowing that you have, um, this thing that you have that you can do that is a skill and does have value also helps you understand that you have value. And, uh, and when we start like 
when we start making art <laughs> and when we start discovering what's inside of ourselves and when we start looking at and appreciating ourselves, it's much, much, much harder to fall into, um, to fall into a sense of powerlessness that would keep us still or quiet. And it's much, much, much harder also to then say like, well, I have value, but the system doesn't value me or I have value. And now I need to release the conditioning from the system, which is things like, my art has to happen on a timeline or my art has to be worth a certain amount of money or like it, yeah. it helps you just dis start disentangling all of that from your yeah. self-worth, uh, which I think is also super important. <laughs> yeah. So, yep. so you garden. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my husband really does a lot of it. Um, <clears throat> Like I, I'm kind of a seed collector, you know, like sometimes I'll, you know, I saw some like beautiful, dark, dark purple hollyhocks like down the street and like just saw that they were going to seed. So I like collected some of those seeds and I'm going to see if they come up and a lot of our hollyhocks very, yeah, uh, they're, they're kind of a big deal in New Mexico. Like they're everywhere and they're this uh really common like landscaping element i did read a book about them uh that rudolfo anaya who's like a big deal new mexican writer uh -huh. he wrote it and i don't remember the story exactly but it was it was pretty religious like it had something to do with like jesus planting the hollyhocks there was like the origin story of hollyhocks huh I'm not super uh, Christian, but it was still like, I love origin stories and I, I love do too. <laughs> like, sort of like mythological stories surrounding plants also, obviously. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't know that the hollyhock had um, like some Christian or origin stories to them. That's really cool. I have tried to grow them from seed and um, they never make it past like the, the four or five inch stage. And they always like die when I plant them in the yard. Huh. Yeah. I wonder but, if it's too wet. Like I, I'm not exactly sure. I don't know if they're, uh, if they like the either. desert, like a lot of plants just like drown. Yeah. Wet and soggy. <laughs> I have I haven't even gotten to that part of my gardening yet. Most of the time what happens is like I'll plant things and some things grow and some things don't grow and I'm okay with that. But then the things that grow grow really well and then I have to deal with that. And so like it's like every year I act surprised <laughs> that something yeah. grows in my garden. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it is like dealing with plants or even animals is and kids really is like acceptance. Like I cannot control every aspect of what this thing does. Yeah. I just have a sense of humor about it and enjoy it for its, you know, it's wild nature. A hundred percent. I love that. It's so, it's, it's, it's so cool then that you are able to like carve out time to keep making your work and that, that you're making this amazing deck for people. Um, so if people want to find you out there in the great world of the interwebs and support your artwork, where can they do that? Um, I have a Patreon at Jane Brusetti. Um, the spelling of my name is probably in your show notes because no one can spell my last name, which is totally <laughs> fine. Uh, I'm on Instagram at 
pigeons and dandelions. I love that. And bleeding heart tarot. Like those are my two Instagram handles. I just started a Twitter at pigeons and dandelions, but I haven't used it a whole heck of a lot yet. But I'm there too. Twitter is people's primary thing. Um, but really, it's like the website jamebrusetti.weebly and the Patreon, the most helpful things to peek Sweet. at. And if you had any advice to give someone as they're maybe starting to step down a life filled with purpose or self-worth or filled with art, uh, what kind of advice would you give them? Um, I feel like having a sense of humor is really important, like especially about yourself. You know, like there's always an opportunity to laugh at something, you know, and then that is like this sort of rolling ball of energy. Like I'm, I'm laughing and now like my body has released all the endorphins and I've projected this like aura of happiness that then other people enjoy. And it's like this, it's like a magnet for more happiness when you like find ways to laugh at stuff. Love it. Well, thank you so much for being here. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Perfect. And for everyone listening, Jane's um, website and all the links are in the show notes. And you can find her out there in interweb land. Uh, Stay cool. Keep making art. Keep looking at art. And I will will talk to you later. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed this episode of Sacred Adventure Begin. If you feel inspired by these conversations, please consider joining us on Patreon and supporting the podcast. Your donations help keep us up and running and start at just $2 a month. Patrons now get additional episodes of the podcast as well as art images and readings at a super affordable monthly rate. And I would love to personally welcome you into that community. Special thanks and shout out to all the Patreon members who are currently out there and all of the donations Sacred Adventure Begin has received to date. It has been such a pleasure supporting you and helping you focus in on the truth, meaning, and wisdom that can be found in our lives and experiences. Thank you too for everyone out there listening. Know that I am sending you so much love, so much awareness, and so much self-acceptance at whatever stage in your journey you find yourself on today.